Father in heaven, this Trinity Sunday, we remember you are a God who loves to speak. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your Son. Your Spirit would be at work taking your words and applying them to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jill's already reminded us that we're in a section in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Remember last week he he was in a certain place when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us. And that's just worth pausing and reflecting on. Sometimes we can think that prayer is something we just can do or we can't. Just something we've got or we haven't. And yet, look, it's not something that is innate. It's something that can be learned, something that we can grow in. That in itself is worth just pressing pause and reflecting on at some point. Maybe we need to learn how to pray as the disciples were asking him, to grow in those things however long we've been believers for. And so Jesus teaches his followers to pray then, remember with him on their way to Jerusalem from the north to the south, 9 verse 51 onwards, that's the section we're in, Preaches, teaches them to pray but then teaches us as well. You and I have this recorded by Luke that we might know the things that we've been taught, that we might learn to pray too. And he told us last week of the kind of things we ought to pray for. Again, Jill has just taken my introduction, which is fine. That's great. First bit, do you remember, is, is vertical. It's God-focused. It's looking up. It's how big he is. It's not just coming in with the shopping list, but getting our perspective right first. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then the second bit is the sort of horizontal Monday morning stuff. It's giving us our daily bread and forgiving us our sins and leading us not into temptation, we said. It's provision and pardon and protection. The kind of things we need each and every day. And yet this week he is building on that teaching us how to pray by giving us two stories to reflect upon that tell us things about our Father in heaven that teach us more about prayer. And they are normal stories. Maybe as Jill, as, sorry, as Rosie read it for us, um, some of it kind of reflected, or, or there's a story of a neighbor, cupboards are empty, guest turns up, and so what do you do middle of the night? Well, you've got to head next door. You are dependent upon the generosity that you will find next door. That is the answer to your problem, to your quandary. Second one is a story of a father whose son asks for good things. I know dads can be annoying, but rather than an egg or a fish, he doesn't give him a, a scorpion or a snake. He provides what's needed for his son. And in a sense, very simple stories. Very clear. You think, how he's going to talk for 25 minutes on this? Don't worry. The, a couple of dangers before we get into it, though. The first is that we read them out of context. What do I mean by that? The first story, the ask, seek, knock story, is often used by people to grab it and to pray crazy things. Thinking that God is a big sugar daddy who will provide what you want. He's given you a credit card with no limit. He's given you a blank check, if you know what checks are. 
The guy heading next door with nothing in his cupboards and wanting to be a good host is not justification for us praying for all our dreams and wants. Just because we ask and seek and knock, it doesn't mean it is ours. The context is the one of daily prayer for daily bread and forgiveness and guarding us from temptation and the things that we need that will see his name honoured, that will see his kingdom grown. So we can't just grab this story out of context. It doesn't necessarily mean the stuff that our selfish hearts want. It's not the context of Lamborghinis or iPhone, iPod, iPhone Pro 14s or whatever they are. If we read it out of context and we pray for all the kinds of things that we think we ought to get, but they're not the things that God promises us, then we can get into a mess. The second one is to be the second issue is to be sure of what the story is about and what it's not about. What is he trying to teach us about prayer? It's often the case with Jesus' parables that we can overthink and overanalyze and speculate on all the different elements and the characters and the scenarios and the details, but I think we need to be careful to try and understand what God is saying to us through the story and what he's not saying to us. He's not saying that God is a grumpy, sleepy stingy neighbor who is reluctant to help us, who's wanting to make excuses when his children ask him for things. And if we badger him and if we hassle him, then we'll get what we want. And this is a story about dependence. I think that's ultimately what's going on. It's a story when there is no other option. It's about knowing that we can't do it on our own. We can't do it without him. Which means, in one sense, it's a story about our reluctance. Our reluctance to ask and to seek and to knock. You see that in verse 10. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened. So we must be careful about what the story is about and what it's not about. Two simple stories. And I reckon two stories that can change our lives. If we get these things right, if we reflect upon them, if they shape us, I think they can change our lives. Two points for today. The first one is that our God gives us what we need. The Bible always paints God as the God who is a giver, who is generous, who in his ultimate generosity gives us his son. But again and again and again, he gives us what we need. He's there for his children. And so come into the first story with me. It's a picture of hospitality. It's a picture of a guy wanting to show mercy and kindness. Who's wanting in one sense to be a good Samaritan. It's a picture of giving daily bread even. But imagine it, you are in bed asleep and it is night time. Your kids are finally asleep. The last light has gone off and it's dark you're just drifting off and you're woken by a bang at the door. And out of the blue, it's an old friend in town. And maybe they're in some kind of trouble, maybe they're lost, maybe their car has broken down, maybe they need help, but they are exhausted and they are hungry. And the cultural expectation of the time is that you would help. If they were a stranger, even you would help, but more so if they are a friend. You would look after them. To, to not welcome would be dishonoring. 
you can't just ignore them. You can't just put the earplugs in and go back to sleep. They've come for refuge, a protection, for warmth, for friendship, for food. And the door opens, oh, great to see you, and suddenly you realise you've got nothing in the cupboard. You realise you're out of food. When bread is a daily prayer, and you find that you need more than you expected, then you're in trouble. And Sainsbury's is coming tomorrow. But your friend is hungry now. So what are you going to do? And there are no 24-hour shops. There are no tins in the cupboards. There's no fridges and freezers and extra food. There's no bread makers. So what are you going to do? You're helpless. You can't sort it on your own. You can't magic bread. So what do you do? You head next door. And you won't be popular because they are all locked up for the night as well and their kids are asleep and the lights are off and you know that he gets grumpy when he doesn't get his sleep. But you're going to go next door anyway. That is your only option. For you to show mercy and kindness to your friend, for you to show hospitality to your friend, there's nothing else you can do. And so round you go, banging on the windows, banging on the door, waking them all up. And despite some grump, you get bread. Verse 8, it describes it in our translation here as because of your shameless audacity. ESV, it's because of your impudence, I think. But there's nothing else you can do, so you go for bread, and he provides bread. And that's the story that Jesus tells. The whole section is one of those how much more stories that you often get in Luke. It's if your neighbour, who's a bit of a stingy grump, will give you bread, as Jesus puts it, then how much more will your Father in heaven? Or verse 13, if you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? If he gives you the bread, eventually, reluctantly, this guy, then God is going to give you your bread much more readily, because he's kind, and he's not like this neighbour of yours. It's not a story about banging on the door till God opens. It's not a story about persistence, though you'll get that in chapter 18. It's a story of knowing that we can't do it on our own. So in our weakness and our seeking and our asking and our knocking, we go to our Father in heaven and he provides. It's about dependence. And we touched on it last week, but maybe if you're brutally honest, you're the kind of person who, to stretch the story a bit too far, the first thing you would do would be looking at your bread maker instructions to work out how quick you can make a loaf that's going to feed your friends. Or you would be on Google Maps trying to work out the closest shop or the place that will deliver at this time of night, if that were a thing in those days. You're trying to work out the solution. You're trying to formulate a plan of action to deal with the issue. There's an issue at hand. What do we do about it? And if you're brutally honest, asking your Father in heaven can be way too far down the priority list. It's not the first port of call. You exhaust all the other stuff first. You try it all first. We have a go on our own first. We do it in our own strength. We try and give the impression of not being helpless because we don't want to appear to be helpless and weak. And God helps those who help themselves. The Bible never says. 
And yet when we are exhausted, disillusioned, frustrated, humbled, then we go to him. Maybe you're someone who's not that happy with their Christian life. And everything just feels a bit mediocre. It all feels a bit too comfortable. And the zeal from years gone by feels a million miles away to where you are now. And also, let me ask you, as I ask myself gently, maybe we're not asking and seeking and knocking as we ought to be. Maybe we don't know our own dependence and our own helplessness. Maybe we need to be taught to pray again. Maybe we've forgotten what our God is like. Or maybe even we actively avoid those contexts where we are out of our depth, where we know we can't do it. They're almost a kind of functional atheism. We actively live within this safe space in our Christian lives, well within our comfort zones where we can do it, where we can cope, where we don't really need him. Again, to stretch the story a bit too far, we've got a freezer full of frozen bread because we don't want to be weak. And so we shape things so that we are comfortable. We shape things such that we are independent. I'm reminded again of, uh, if you were here last week, Pat Brittenden's reminder, his call to us, quoting from an elders' retreat 12 years ago, do you remember, for God's sake, do something brave. Because it's when you're out of your comfort zone, it's when you are helpless, it's when you know your dependency that we have to turn to him. And we have to say, Lord, I can't do it. But maybe you say to me, I have prayed. And I know I am helpless, and I know I can't do it, and I have asked, and I have sought, and I have knocked, and I have not received. The bread has not been forthcoming. They are good things that I've asked for. It's not a Lamborghini, I promise. And I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked, but nothing has changed. The Lord seems to be asleep. I didn't get the job, I didn't get the grades, I didn't find the spouse, we couldn't have kids, my life is still a mess, it's all still uncertain, that situation is still hard and it's painful and it hurts. And I think I've asked and I've sought and I've knocked. And so what do we do at that point with stories like this? I know there will be people in the room for whom that will be reality. And if it's not reality for you now, It probably will be in the future for all of us in different ways. He has not answered my prayers. Is God not good? Even when I prayed for good things. I think our second story helps us. Verse 11, second point. Our God doesn't necessarily give us what we want. How do we square the circle in verse 10 that says, For everyone who asks, receives. Let me read again, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we know from experience that we don't always get what we want. The things that we pray for don't always arrive, do they? And we know from the scriptures that God doesn't always answer prayer, actually. As we were thinking about in the church business meeting 
whenever it was, a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes, because he is good and kind, the Lord leaves the thorns in. Do you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look, Paul tells us he has asked, and he has sought, and he has knocked. And did he receive? He did not receive. And he did not find. And the door was not opened to him. Why? Well, again, he tells us, because even though it hurt, giving him what he wanted was not the best thing for him. And maybe even crazy as it seems to us, and our perspective is limited and there is mystery in this, but to give him what he wanted, to take away his thorn, that might have been a scorpion or a snake, rather than a fish or an egg. Striking, isn't it? The good thing was to leave the thorn in. The good thing was to leave the pain even. And sometimes we have to trust God in that. And why is it a good thing? Well, it's a good thing because in our hardship and in our weakness, it keeps us knowing that we can't do it and that we are helpless and that we are dependent and that we need him. That we keep looking to the Lord, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And when life is easy, and when it's all strawberries and cream, and it's all going entirely to plan, and when we get all the things that we want, he knows the way in which our hearts perpetually drift away from him and back to self. And yet pain for the believer, maybe not straight away, but pain for the believer has a way of keeping our eyes fixed on him. Lord wrote, our father gives good gifts to his children because he loves us. And it's hard to say this, but if we have not received what we wanted, even if we were convinced that was a good thing, then perhaps that wasn't a good thing for us. And of course there is mystery, and our perspective is limited. But maybe the good thing that we wanted for us might actually end up being a snake or a scorpion. And the thing that we didn't want was an egg or a fish. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. We can overly glibly and unthinkingly go to Romans 8, 28, at times like this. But I think it's a good reminder, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And he, and he explains to us what good looks like. And it's not having our desires and our wants and our longings met, but rather he, he redefines good for us as being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. 
Your loving father might not have given you the thing that you asked and you sought and you longed for because he wants something better for you and that better thing is that you will be more like his son. The greater good for you is conformity into the likeness of Jesus. To be more like the person he made you to be, to bring you to maturity in Christ. But man, is that hard. And that will land painfully in this room, but I think it's where scripture takes us. I can think personally of moments in my past, unanswered prayers over illness and pain and death that I still struggle to come to terms with. But I know my Father in heaven doesn't give snakes and scorpions. And so that thing that he allowed or even gave in his sovereign plans, however painful, was not to break me, but was ultimately for my benefit, for my Christ-likeness. And in the moment, that is a hard truth to swallow. It is a hard lesson to accept. So maybe for some of us, there is just the prayer that God would give us the kind of faith in the midst of unanswered prayer just to keep trusting him. Lord, I keep asking, I keep seeking, I keep knocking, and I'm beginning to doubt whether you're good. So maybe we need to pray for one another and for ourselves that we might continue to trust that he is good. In confusion, in questions, just to keep clinging on. Lord, we don't know what you're doing, but our eyes are on you. And I guess not far below the surface, the sort of question that ought to be bubbling up is, well, what do we need most in life? In our proverbial hierarchy of needs, what is the absolute foundation at the bottom? What can we not do without What must everything else build upon? Have a look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What a great verse for Trinity Sunday. Do you see what an incredible promise God gives us himself? What do we need most? We need him. We were made for him. We were made to live with him. We were made for intimacy with him. We were made for relationship with him. And ever since page three of the Bible, we have been longing for that again. The relationship that we were made for that was broken, where there was separation, now God gives his people his spirit. Once again, he is among us, and there's intimacy and there's relationship. It's the intimacy that we were made for. And you see, as we follow Jesus from the north to the south, as we follow him to the cross, to the Jerusalem, we can't do it in our own strength. We, we can't live that kind of a life of daily putting to death the sinful nature, daily discipleship, daily following Christ. We can't do it on our own. And so he gives us himself by his spirit. He gives us his presence and his power. He gives us the strength to follow him, even through hard times, even through unanswered prayer, even. Because he is what we most need. Our God gives us himself. Let me pray.
Father in heaven, we pray that these realities about yourself would shape us. Lord, that we might know our dependence upon you. That we might know that we can't do it on our own. And yet we pray that we might know and trust and continue to trust that you are good, even when for many of us there are unanswered prayers. For many of us there's pain, ongoing pain. And yet we thank you that you give us yourself. You don't call us to do this on our own. but you give us your Holy Spirit. I say, would you strengthen us to live for you? Would you strengthen us to keep trusting you? Would you strengthen us to follow after the Lord Jesus that we might daily put to death the sinful nature, daily put off the old self and daily put on Christ? Would we confess our inability? We confess our weakness before you. We thank you that you are with us by your spirit. We thank you that you strengthen us. We thank you for that intimacy. Thank you for that relationship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.